Hey guys, thanks so much for joining us right here for the Active Church Podcast. We believe that you can tell a better story and we are so glad you are engaging with our content today. You're about to hear from one of our incredible teaching pastors and we hope that you'll be impacted by this message. Thanks again for being with us. All right, so I want to make a very obvious statement, something that you know, something that I know, but I I need to say it out loud because it will influence where we're going today. And the statement is this, that relationships are complicated. Again, you you already know this, right? I, I know this. And the reason why we have to talk about it is because during the Christmas time, we really feel this because those that we're in relationship with are around more. They're around our table. We're exchanging gifts. We're interacting with them. Relationships are complicated, and they get really complicated when there's uncertainty in those relationships. Like if we're uncertain if we matter to them. We're uncertain if we have value to them. We're uncertain if they love us or not. That complicates relationships. And what we need when things are complicated is we need clarity. Because when there's uncertainty, we need clarity. Because clarity lets you know what to do next. Clarity gives you a way forward. Clarity actually brings this awareness of where you stand in relationship with another person. And it's in that last statement that I think we all need to wrestle with today. That's probably the most important thing that we need to know, where we stand with each other in relationship. Because life and relationships that's filled with uncertainty can cause a lot of anxiety, right? And anxiety isn't something that we want to live with and just allow to stay. Clarity actually settles that anxiety. Clarity actually communicates where things are. Clarity lets you know the status or the standing of the relationship that you're in. And we need to know this because our tendency when we're not sure where we stand with someone is to begin to work for it. We're going to try to work for it. We're going to try to earn it. We're going to try to impress and please. And maybe through our behavior, they'll like us and we'll matter to them and we'll have value. And then we'll know where we stand. But here's the problem. Everything that we do actually will cause more insecurity and more anxiety because it is not our job to bring clarity to where we stand with somebody else. They need to communicate it through their words and their actions. So all the work that we put in is actually for naught because it's their job to let us know where we stand. And it's our job to let them know where we stand and this relationship, where we stand together in this relationship. And we don't just do this in human-to-human, person-to-person relationships. We do this with God, too. If we're not sure if God loves us or values us or we matter to God, we get to work, don't we? We get to work to try to please God and impress God. We think that maybe our behavior will move God on our behalf, but it's a problem because it's God's job to communicate through his words and his actions where we stand with him if we matter and have value and are loved by him. And it's our job to communicate to God where he stands with us. But often in our relationships, we like to work for things. We like to earn things. And it causes a lot of complication. It causes a lot of uncertainty. We need to know where we stand with God and with each other. Now, the Jewish people who who came before us, they actually wrestled with this as much as we wrestle with it today. And they wanted to know where they stand with God so much so that they actually built this whole rhythm of understanding 
into their educational system. Like they prioritized their relationship with God in their educational system over reading and writing and arithmetic, all right? They decided that they wanted to know this more than anything else. And so they got to work and they created what they called Torah school. And Torah school was them spending time at a young age for about 12 to 15 years, discovering the story of God. And the intent behind it was that they would know where they stand with God. They would have an understanding or an awareness of the status of their relationship. And so they would work hard for it. And there were three levels to Torah school. The, the first level was Beit Sefer. And Beit Sefer lasted for about four to five years. You would start when you were like six years old and you would, it would end when you were about 10 years old. And in Beit Sefer, you were challenged to memorize the first four documents of the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. And then if you could, they would ask you to memorize Deuteronomy. So if you were the best of the best, you would memorize all five of those documents. And at the end of this four-year period, if you had it down, like every letter, every exclamation point, every comma, every sentence, if you had it memorized, then you could move on to level two of Torah school. And this would last another four to five years. It would end when you were about 13 or 14 years old, and Beit Talmud would challenge you to memorize the entire Hebrew scriptures. So that's Genesis to Malachi, memorized. Now, we have a tough time remembering where we put our phone or our wallet or our keys, right? We have a tough time remembering faces and names of people that we just met, or at least maybe that's just me, I do. And so here, these kids, essentially, are learning the entire Hebrew scriptures, and they had to have it memorized. And if they were the best of the best, and they got it down in that four to five year period, then they would go to level three of Torah school. And level three was Beit Midrash. Now this was different than the first two levels. This level, you would actually seek out a rabbi to follow. Rabbis were the teachers of the law. They were the men that would teach people about God. And a rabbi would take the commands of God, and if they were a good rabbi, they could summarize the 613 commands in one or two sentences. So your job would be to find the best rabbi who has summarized the law of God in the best and most accessible way. And then you would go to them and you would ask if you could follow them, if you could be like them, if you could learn from them. You would take what they called their yoke. It was their interpretation of God's commands. You would take their yoke and you would put it upon you. A yoke was something that would go around like a donkey's neck or a horse's neck, and it would pull a chariot or a pole, a plow, and the person that was leading the chariot or the plow would direct the donkey. And in essence, what they were saying was, is that the rabbi would direct you in life. So you go to the rabbi and you would say, I'd like to follow you. I want to take your yoke upon me. And then the rabbi would decide if you were good enough to follow him. He would interview you, talk with you, pick your brain about your faith and about your life. And at the end of that interview, he would do one of two things. One, he would invite you to follow him, to be like him, to learn from him, to learn about God from him. And what you would do is leave everything, your family, your friends, your home, your business, your, your school, at the, at the age of 14, 15, 16 years old. And you would follow the rabbi. And it would be seen as the best thing that you could do. But if you weren't the best of the best, then the rabbi would say, go back home to your family, 
to your friends, to your family's business, because you can't follow me, because you aren't the best. Now, can you imagine investing 12, 13, 14, maybe even 15 years in the story of God, learning about God, wanting to know where you stand with God, because that was the goal of Torah school. And then at the end of that time, having somebody that you admired, you looked at, was maybe your teacher, was potentially going to be your rabbi, the one you learned from, your pastor. And having that person say to you, ah, you know what? You didn't make the cut. So good luck with the rest of your life. These people that would hear that from the rabbi would leave that place wondering two things. Where they stood with God's people and where they stood with God. Complicated, right? There's uncertainty. And they needed some clarity. And they thought the last 15 years of their life, they could get clarity. And at the end of that time, in the middle of their high school years, like prime years, they were told, "Uh, you're not the best of the best. Good luck with life. That's the tension. Those are the emotions. This is the circumstance that we're going to enter into today. I want you to feel this. I want you to experience this because I want to introduce you to a group of people in the Christmas story that were considered not the best of the best. And something happened in their story that is remarkable. And I wanna take you into that today. And we're gonna discover one thing. It's the thing that you and I long for. And it's the thing that they longed for in their time, clarity. Clarity where they stand with people, but ultimately clarity where they stand with God in the status of their relationship. And so I wanna dive into the story, I wanna read through it. I want to sit with it. And then I want to ask the question, what does it mean for us this Christmas season? Because I'm believing what we'll learn will help us to get a little louder about who God is and what God does during the Christmas season. Now, if you're watching or if you're listening for the very first time, we're honored that you're here. And my name is Mike and I serve on the team here at Active Church. And this conversation, I think, will be so helpful for you. We're going to dive into a very familiar part of the Christmas story. And it's in the letter that Luke writes. And Luke is a brilliant man who investigated the story of Jesus. And the beginning of his letter, he begins to introduce us to how Jesus came to earth. And in Luke chapter two, starting in verse one, we get the Christmas story. And here's what he puts. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. And this was the first census that took place while Quirinius was the governor of Syria. And everyone who went on their way went to their own town to register. So Joseph went up to the town of Nazareth and Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. This is David who fought Goliath, the first, first man to defeat Goliath David, the second king of Israel, David. And he went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. And she wrapped him in clothes and she placed him in a manger because there were no guest rooms available for them. Now, I'm assuming you've heard this before, even if you're not a church person. Maybe you had this read to you when you were a kid, or maybe you have read this yourself in the last couple of days, or maybe every Christmas Eve, your family would get together, religious or not, to read the Christmas story. So this might be familiar to you. And the next part is going to be familiar to you, but I'm believing, in light of what we just talked about, I'm believing it'll take on a completely different meaning. 
verse 8 of Luke 2. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. Now, in light of what we've learned about Torah school and the three levels of Torah school in the first maybe 12 to 15 formative years of life, the question we have to ask is why are these shepherds, these men in the fields, and not following a rabbi? Why are they taking care of sheep and not choosing to follow a rabbi in life? And the answer is because they weren't the best of the best. Because they were told that they didn't make the cut. And so for their entire lives, they've wondered where they stood with people, but ultimately wondered where they stood with God. So keep that in mind as we continue to read in verse 9. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. And I respond to that statement this way, of course they were, because they had no idea where they stood with the God in heaven. They were unsettled about it, uncertain about it, and it made things complicated. And to add on to that, during this time, there was this narrative in the Roman world that the gods that you worshipped were mad at you. They were angry with you. Even Even if you worshipped false gods, even if you knew that they weren't real gods, they still believed that these gods were mad and angry with you. And your job was to fix that. Your job was to please and to impress. And sometimes people would believe that about Yahweh, the one true God, the only God. And so here are these shepherds in the middle of this field and God appears to them. And not just God, but all of heaven appears to them. And they're not sure where they stand with God or all of heaven. And Luke says they're terrified. And wouldn't you be? Wouldn't you be afraid? I mean, maybe they thought like, okay, well, life's over for us. (laughs) This is the end. It's been a good run. Because they are uncertain about where they stand with God. They are unsure if God is for them or stands against them. And this is how they felt in this big, big moment. And yet... Here we are. And perhaps you know exactly how they feel. Because maybe your uncertainty kept you away from church or people of faith or God himself. Jesus, the Savior, the Messiah, the Son of God. Maybe the narrative around all of that was fear, was terror. Maybe the narrative around all of that was, I don't know where I stand. I don't know if I'm good enough. I don't know if God wants me. I don't know if the people of God want me. Or maybe that wasn't you. Maybe it's somebody that you love, that you're married to, in relationship with, or friends with, or maybe they live in your home, or maybe they work in the place that you work, and they're afraid. And so whenever you invite them to church, or whenever you ask them to come to a church event, there's this hesitation. It's not you, and it may not even be the expression of active. It just might be the narrative that they have in their mind. They're terrified because they are uncertain about where they stand with God, which make things complicated in life. And we continue with the story, and Luke says in verse 10, that the angel said to these shepherds, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you, and he is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find the baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Now, when I, when I read that, I, I throw back to when I was a kid and 
the first time that I watched the Peanuts Christmas movie. Like Charlie Brown, Lucy, Linus, Snoopy. And I can hear Linus drop his blanket, grab the microphone, and begin to explain to Charlie Brown about the meaning of Christmas because Charlie was uncertain and things got complicated. And I have to imagine that these shepherds are like Charlie Brown in this story. Things are uncertain and it's complicated. They're not sure where they stand with God. They were told they're not the best of the best. And yet God and all of heaven decided to show up and show them and tell them and announce to them that a savior has been born. That God has come. And they're the ones that get to hear it first. And then not only that. They actually get the one thing that you and I long for in relationship with each other, but most importantly in relationship with God, clarity. Clarity as to where we stand with God. The thing that only God can bring to us. And then verse 13 gives us that clarity. First for the shepherds and then for us. Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. Did you catch that? Peace to you. Peace to you shepherds who have been wrestling with where you stand with God. Peace To you men who were told that you are not the best of the best. Peace to those men caring for the sheep who had uncertainty and things were complicated. God says to them through these angels, peace to you on whom his favor rests. Maybe perhaps they processed it this way. Peace between you and God from the God who is for you. We're not at war We're not in battle. I'm bringing you peace. I'm communicating where you stand with me. And peace is so important because peace is living in harmony with God. Now, if you're watching this, harmony looks like this. If you're listening, this is me clasping my hands together. Like I'm holding someone's hand, except it's both my hands together. Harmony is when two hands are together. Harmony is when we are connected, when we are unified, when we're moving in the right direction. But harmony doesn't just take place. It doesn't just happen. It has to be worked for. You have to put some effort into it. And harmony can only take place when the following things are true. First, harmony with God can only happen when we know God and when we are known by God. You can't have harmony with someone you don't know. Like, you can treat them with respect, but harmony is when you are known fully and there is no judgment. When there is intimacy and they know everything about you, and yet there is still love. Harmony can't happen unless we know God and God knows us, because you can't have harmony with someone you don't know or you're unaware of. Both parties have to know each other. Second thing that has to happen, has to be true if harmony is to take place in relationships. Harmony with God can only happen because God has chosen to heal what was broken between us. And when we talk about this brokenness, we're talking about that word that sometimes people don't like, and that word is sin. 
And sin in our lives is when we've missed the mark, when we haven't met our own standards, let alone what God has invited us to do, the better story that God has invited us to write. When we missed the mark and we decided to build our kingdom over God's kingdom, that's called sin. And it comes out in how we treat people. It comes out in how we speak to people. It comes out in the way that we behave. It comes out in a lot of different ways. And what God has done is he has dealt with that brokenness through the work and the person of Jesus, who is the Messiah. Listen, harmony can't take place unless there's reconciliation. And reconciliation can't take place unless someone says, I'm going to go first. And God, God went first. And he showed up as a baby. Harmony, three, can only take place if this last thing is true as well. Harmony with God can only take place when God has given us clarity about our standing in relationship with him. God is a God who renews and restores and redeems that which was lost. And God and only God can communicate with his words and actions where we stand. We can't work for it. We can't earn it. We can't impress him to move closer to us. God decides to move closer to us. God decides to love us. God decides that we matter. God gives us our value. And it's in this moment, in this one announcement, that God, through one word, peace, he speaks to these shepherds who have felt for years that they didn't have any value to God. Things were complicated and they were uncertain. It was as if God in this moment, he just stripped everything away and the veil between heaven and earth got really thin and he said to these shepherds, I am not mad at you. I am not angry with you. I'm actually for you. And I'm not just for you from a distance clapping my hands, but I'm working on your behalf because a savior is coming. And this work of redemption and reconciliation is going to be founded in unconditional love that the savior named Jesus is going to teach you about and model for you and show you through a death and a resurrection. And then that love is going to inspire you to love others. And that love in how you love others will be irresistible to others. And they will discover who God is and what God does. And they'll know where they stand with God. Like this is a remarkable, remarkable moment. So how would you respond to this announcement? Think about this. For years, they weren't sure, they were uncertain, and things were complicated. And now today, they heard something very different, a very different story, a very different narrative. And maybe for you, it's not hard to hear that negative narrative, because that's the narrative that you've been told by the people of God for years. And yet here, God shows up at Christmas time and says, peace to you. Good news of great joy for you. Here's where you stand with me. Doesn't the the moment with the shepherds take on so much more meaning and beauty and power? Like, this is almost the best part of the story. Yes, I know Jesus is the main character and him being born is the best part. I get it. But this moment of these shepherds, like, we blow by it so quickly. But yet, when you know what was stirring in their hearts and in their minds... This is remarkable and beautiful, and it makes the next moment make sense. Verse 15, when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem 
and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. Like, why would they go to see a random baby? Because this random baby is the Savior, the Lord, and get this, their eventual rabbi. And God the Father announces from heaven to earth to these shepherds that you men who have been on the outside, you're going to be brought in to the inner circle. Because where you stand with me is peace, is harmony. I'm announcing that over you. And so they hurried off and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told to them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. And the shepherds returned, glorifying God and praising God. And all the things that he has done, they began to tell everybody, just as it had been told to them. Let's not miss what we've walked through. Like, let's be clear. They lived for years believing one thing about where they stood with God. And that was, it's complicated and we're uncertain. And in one moment, all of that changed. Which brings me to a question that we need to wrestle with today, that you need to wrestle with today. Where do you stand with God? And my guess is that immediately you begin to answer it with all of the typical answers. Like maybe you answer that question with, well, what have I done? How have I impressed or pleased God? Maybe you're starting to determine off of, how generous you were, how good you were, how well-behaved you are, how good of a life you've lived. And you, you thought, maybe now God will move on my behalf. Perhaps you thought that you have to continue to do things so that God will move in your direction, that you can catch his attention. You're sending out the SOS with your life. But my friends, my active fam, those watching and listening, this is why Christmas is God's greatest announcement to you and me. Because Christmas is God's announcement about where you stand with him. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. You didn't work for it. You didn't impress him or please him. He says, peace between you and me. Peace to you. Peace upon you. Peace within you. Peace around you. Again, it's a peace you can't work for. It's a peace that isn't determined by you. This peace is determined by the Savior who has come and has died and has resurrected. God says, peace to you. Because I want you. You have value to me. You matter to me. You are loved by me. And so you have right standing through the person and work of Jesus when you trust in him. Maybe you've been told or maybe you've thought you're not good enough or righteous enough or spiritual enough. Maybe you've been treated as second best. So hear the words of the angel at Christmas time. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. Maybe, maybe this is why Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, maybe this is why he opens up every single one of his letters with these two words, grace and peace. Grace and peace to you because he felt it from God. He knew that God, when he wanted to know where he stood with God, God said grace and peace because those are the two things that he needed most. Those are the two things that I need most. Those are the two things that you need most. Because those are gifts that we can't earn on our own. You can't earn grace. You can't earn peace. You don't deserve grace. You don't deserve peace. You get those things when you're not trying to be the best. 
but you surrender to the God who has announced the best way forward, and that is the way of Jesus. So my friends, may you know peace today because you are known by God and you have the opportunity to know God. May you experience peace in the broken places and spaces in your life, in your heart, in your head, in your soul, in your body, and in your world. And may you be confident that you know where you stand with God because a Savior has come. His name is Jesus. And because of that, may that story not stay within you. May that story get out of you. May you invite somebody to come and be a part of Christmas Eve at Active to hear about the one who was born at Christmas time, who has rescued and saved, who has redeemed and renewed and restored, who brings forgiveness and salvation, whose name is Jesus. And the only reason why we have grace and peace is because Jesus has come and our Heavenly Father has given of his Son for you and for me. And so may we have peace. And may you join us on Christmas Eve online at 4 p.m. so that you can watch and experience. Or perhaps if you're local, may you come and sit with us at 2 o'clock, 4 o'clock, and 6 p.m. And we would love for you to come and hang with us that night. It's going to be an incredible time. And we would love to see you and sit with you and have you invite somebody. May you experience peace. Because that's what God communicates to us as we stand with him. Let me pray for you. And so, Heavenly Father, thank you for peace. And thank you that we get to know where we stand with you. I pray in the name of Jesus that we would not continue to work to try to impress you or please you, but that we would respond to your announcement at Christmas that a son has been born, a savior has come, the Messiah is here, and that we would live in peace and that we would trust in you and lean into you and follow you. May we experience your peace today because of Jesus and it's in the name of Jesus we pray all of these things and together we say amen and amen and amen. We hope you enjoy the Active Church podcast. If you want to know more about Active Church, you can follow us on our social media platforms at Active Churches. Don't forget to subscribe as well to stay connected to future podcasts. And if you are a local, we would love for you to experience the room with us. Sunday services are 9 a.m. and 1045 a.m. in Ukaipa. See you next time.